Hi, welcome back to Till Death to Us podcast, a podcast about marriage, murder, with the Murrays. I'm Michelle Murray. And I'm Matt Murray. And happy Monday. Yeah, happy Monday. Yeah. It's another one. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we like recorded on a different day, if our demeanor in the beginning would be like, different. Do you think it was different when we recorded? Didn't we record on what Saturdays? I don't know. <laughs> well, we, there was the other days that we recorded. Yeah. No. Yeah, I wonder if we you did. Could tell. Yeah, we know. did. Um, we did do. I think Fridays before and Saturdays. I think Mondays work. Or it's working good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm particularly tired today. I moved a lot of tile by myself, and uh, it was very exhausting. <laughs> and it was really humid outside. Oh man, the weather here. I don't know if any of our listeners are from uh, the Boston area, but man, it has been really hot and humid here. Like, whew. Yeah, it's been super rough. It's real gross. It's gross outside. I'm not sure why we live here. Um, <laughs> it's because we're from here. That's true. That's why we live here. That's it. That's true. That's the only reason. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, we wouldn't live here. Yeah. It's rough outside, though. Yeah. But I can assume that there are other parts of the country where it's warmer like we'd have to move to particularly colder climate like we're not gonna just move to texas yeah but you look at like 110 degrees in the fucking shade yeah but you look at like warmer places like dory lives in california and like they're hot but like they don't have the humidity yeah. that we have yeah, that's true. it's not like sticky heat yeah like we have sticky heat yeah it's gross here mm-hmm. it's terrible mm-hmm. yeah massachusetts the grossest of all hot places <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. You want my advice? It's not mine again. Yeah, no, I know. I keep asking other people. I, yeah, no, I know. I'm part of the Facebook group, too. I don't know <laughs> <that>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I am. Yeah. Yep. All right. So what do we get? Oh, this is... How not to murder each other with people who like our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and also questions from Steve. <laughs> I love them. Yeah. So, Carl says that it's okay to have separate interests and hobbies that your spouse doesn't share. And um, Devin actually second how, like, important that is. Which I think we might have touched on before. Yeah, and, we like, have. It totally is, like, yeah. I mean, we, we so have, important. We have crossover stuff, but it is. It's super important to have your own interests. Like, if you have all the same interests, you can just never... Right. Like, you're just never a part or you can never not associate yourself with that person yeah i mean whereas like i've always felt like marriage was like a team not like a direct union into one thing right right you're just like a really good fucking team and you need to have strengths and weaknesses and likes and dislikes and all that kind of stuff to make that work yeah yeah it also allows you to continue being independent of each other for sure you can't lose your identity in somebody else yeah yeah that's dangerous yes it is grace says don't forget to tell your spouse how much you appreciate him or her both spouses work hard, and it's important to not take the other for granted. Yeah. Which I think is totally right. Yeah. I mean, that goes to what we were saying last week, like, always say thank you. But I think it's the same, and it's different. Like, you always say thank you, but you always want to be like, I appreciate this. Right. <laughs> that you just did. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Yeah. It's very important. Mm-hmm. It helps. builds that bond of trust and loyalty <laughs> and belief. <laughs> Lois says, pay attention to one another. When one person is feeling looked over, they may look elsewhere for attention. It's so, so easy to do when you have small children. Busy all day with kids and tired at night. Make the time to nurture. Without love, you won't grow. Yeah. So, like, 
I 100% agree with that statement. But? Besides the fact that it is way harder to have older kids than it is to have younger kids. kids. Like, man, we let Gavin... I mean, he, he goes to bed pretty early as far, like, for his age. Like, we sent him to bed around, like, 9, 30, 10. Mm-hmm. And that's too late for us to hang out. So, like... No, I know. Like, we don't ever If get we time. just had younger children, you know, the baby goes to bed at 7. So, we'd still have time to hang out. But because we have an older one, we never get, like, us time. Yeah. It's crazy. But, I mean, eventually that happens anyway. What? Like, if we had just younger kids... It would be great for a while while they were young, but like eventually they do turn into older children. That's true. If if nobody murders them or you don't murder them, that's what happens. That's true. They grow into little people. But I don't think I would have acknowledged the difference in the ages. Right. If we didn't have a younger kid, such a wide range. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he is kind of at the age now that he's kind of doing more stuff independently anyway yeah so that is kind of helping but yeah it's still i don't know it can be disruptive to have children in general just because you know it's not disruptive that makes it sound like it's terrible i love both of our kids they're great <laughs> but you know it, it does it, yeah he listens a, to this you watch yourself <laughs> he, he knows he's, he's called me out on stuff before only to be immediately uh only for me to immediately recognize on the podcast exactly what he tried to call me out yeah. for. Yeah. It's like, stupid. Then I'll like immediately follow it up with like the most positive compliment about him ever. Because <laughs> um, he is. He's a great kid. And so, I mean, so is Grayson. You know, he's in, in his little toddler age, but it does. It makes it difficult to hang out and spend time together, which right. is why this is very important. Right. This is our time. This is our time together. Yep. <laughs> All right, so we actually had two questions this week. Oh, boy. I know. So Anthony asks, should or do couples ask each other if they can buy something? All right. No, if it's not expensive. Okay. Right? Because, like, if you had just gone and bought a car, (laughs) I would have been like, what? Like, that's, uh, there are decisions that are personal, right? This kind of almost feeds into the first thing that Carl said, right? Like you have separate interests right. and those are going to necessitate separate purchases. Like I buy video games and you buy stuff for the baby all the time. Oh my God. I buy so much stuff for our kids. But, um, you know, I think that there's a pretty clear delineation between something that's like a, a personal purchase that isn't going to impact the overall quality of your relationship's life. Right. Whereas like taking on like $11,000 in debt, uh, you know, maybe yeah. not as it, it's it's a well. I that's think a, I think that's, that's, a discu- that's I think a that's drastic. Right. So, like, I I think I I feel the same way. Like, if you went and bought a video game, I don't expect you to discuss it with me. But like, if you went and bought a four hundred dollar TV, I would be like, hey, hey. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's what I mean. It's like, you know, it's they're they're clear. I think even in your gut. When you're going to make a purchase, if you haven't told your significant other, right, and it, your gut will tell you whether or not you should have talked to them about it or not, right, it's a pretty easy. And if it doesn't, yeah, maybe maybe you have other stuff to think about. Yeah, maybe you have some other stuff to think about. <laughs> right, I agree. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you want to do Steve's too, or do you want to save it? When are we going to save it for? Next week. I mean, we can, but he seems to be posting questions all the time. All right, Steve, you better have more next week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so 
Steve asks, if you are ever just annoyed with each other for no particular reason, how do you deal with it? Like sometimes when you hang with a cousin or a friend for long stretches, you start to want to punch them in the throat. <laughs> that feeling, but for your spouse. Uh, I, again, think this feeds into directly into Carl's comment and what we've talked about before. Is, yeah, I, I think I, I so think too. just being able to be independent of each other mm-hmm. helps with that a lot. And I mean, um, there's no... There's no good relationship you'll ever be in, ever, where there is zero tension. Right. Right? There's always going to be times with a mom, a dad, a spouse, a kid. I totally want to punch you in the throat sometimes. Yeah. And I'm sure I deserve it sometimes. (laughs) You know? Uh, I want to punch the kids in the throat sometimes, too. That's what I mean. I never, ever would. I think if if you don't have those moments... uh, Something else is probably wrong. Right. Or, or you're just not acknowledging that they exist. Right. Uh, and I think it's just either, you know, acknowledging that it's happening and just, you know, you kind of power through it. Right. Yeah. There's, been, well, nights, so, there's so... been nights where, you know, we'll literally just sit on the couch watching TV and like, I know that you're annoyed with me or you know that I'm annoyed with you or whatever. And it's just <laughs> whatever. It doesn't matter. We're just going to hang out. And watch so is TV. your answer to that question that we just ignore it? No, we we end up talking about it eventually for no, sure. No, we've talked about this before. Is this is what happens. What happens? Is we ignore it and we sit on the couch and we can't stand each other and we want to punch each other in the throats. And then I'll be like, I'm going to bed. And then I'll go to bed and you'll come in and you'll be like, listen. <laughs> it's true. And then you want to talk about it and I'll be like, I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> but this actually gets to another point that it's some marriage advice that I actually don't agree with. And it's don't go to bed mad at each other. And I, I don't agree with that. Yeah. I think that it's okay and even kind of healthy to do that sometimes. If you're doing it either of these things all the time, right? Like if you're annoyed with your partner all the time or like if you're constantly going to bed angry, mm-hmm. I think that's a very serious problem. But if if you don't know how to process anger or annoyance or whatever... Uh, and you need to you need to have it resolved immediately. Like there's this need to get over it immediately. Then I think maybe there's a little bit of growing you need to do. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's been not plenty, but there have been nights where we've been mad at each other, where we go to bed mad at each other. There have been stretches of so so. The reason I think that it's silly to say that is because there are stretches of days in any relationship where you're just not in a good place, mm-hmm. and eventually you get to the end of that. You know, whether it's discussion or it, it blows over or whatever. But having to resolve that immediately and not being able to sit and, like, like ruminate on it and, and really think about it, I think it comes from a lot of anxiety and stress. And I think being able to sit there and think about it and not be so mad and, you know, a day or the next morning and not be immediately mad about anything, I think totally can help. A situation more yeah. than it can hurt a situation. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. Um, as much as I understand where people come from when they they say, say yep. don't go to bed angry, right. I get how um, sometimes you do kind of just need to like sit in it and be with your own thoughts about it. Um, I mentioned last week that I was in and out of uh, an emotionally abusive relationship for 13 years and... In that relationship, like, I constantly had to be like, we're going to fix this fight right now. And, like, I'm not going to stop talking about it. I'm not going to go to bed until we fix this. And, right. like, you know, it, it 
like never ended because yeah, th- there was that fear <clears throat> that was like if you don't solve it right now then it's going to be broken forever right. and like it was the anxiety that that held within me was like just crazy and it's very interesting being in this relationship now where like I know that if we go to bed angry and if we don't talk about it right away it's still going to be okay right like it's not going anywhere. It's not going to be broken by this one fight. Right. Like, it's very, it's very interesting to think about the growth that I've had during between those two things. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, I, I don't mean it in a way that like maybe that's how you solve your problems, right? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe you can't go to bed angry at your spouse for whatever reason, but I don't find that it's healthy for me to just or us. To just do that all the time. Sometimes it does happen. Like I do do that like quick turnaround and like, hey, listen, I'm sorry or whatever. But there have been times where I've done that where it's made it worse. Oh, yeah. We still. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'll come in and be like, hey, listen. And then I'll be like, fuck you. Fuck you. All right. Whatever. Go away. But to answer Steve's question, I think that living with being annoyed with or angry with your partner for small periods of time is healthy and normal. And working through that, uh, either through just spending some independent time away from each other and then coming back and discussing it or, you know, just uh, resolving it. Sometimes we resolve our fights by just we're nice to each other again. You know what I mean? And not well, sometimes we... it's going back to um, going back to Grace's comment that it's literally just acknowledging your appreciation. Right. So yeah, I think I think that's what it is. Is I don't think there's any direct thing that you can do to not be annoyed with each other at times. It's just it's going to happen and I think <clears throat> more than just being able to try to solve it is understanding that <clears throat> your marriage is strong enough mm-hmm. or your relationship is strong enough that it's going to survive that and that it's temporary. Yeah. So like my That was a big one. I know. Sorry, it talks so long. No, that's fine. This is what we're here for. Yeah. So my takeaway from all of this is pretty much um, just close the fucking shower curtain when you're done showering. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hate you so much. It's only when I don't do it. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Shut up. What's next? All right. Oh, you're a jerk. You ready to take it down like a billion notches? Because this one is dark. We're there. I'm asking you if you're ready. I don't... Yeah. Yeah? I'm ready. Okay. Okay. Um, I do want to give a trigger warning to this one here. There is a lot of sexual assault. Um, it is on minors. Oof. So if you can't hear that, it's okay. Don't listen to this episode. Um, we'll be back with more mild ones mm-hmm. coming up. And... Um, yeah, I just want to let you all know that this one is a rough one. Yeah, we always want to let you know up front. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I got a lot of my information this week on good old Murderpedia, Wikipedia, um, thefamouspeople.com. That was a new one for Never me. Never heard of that. Yeah. Um, I listened to an episode of Morbid, episode 53, uh, episode of Crime Junkie, episode of My Favorite Murder, number 91. Um, in 2014, Quantum Entertainment actually released a movie about this case starring Laura Pepron. Um, but it had, like, the victims even 
the victim's family is even okay this movie, but the premiere, the current premiere, Dalton McGuinty called for a boycott, and it was given a very, very limited release in Canada. So, like, Rough. I couldn't find the movie anywhere. What was it called again? Uh, Carla. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, this is the case of the Ken and Barbie killers, Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo. Okay. So, some people may have recently heard about Carla Homolka from the Netflix documentary, Don't Fuck With Cats. Oh, wow. Because... The murderer, Lucas Magnata, in that claimed that he had a relationship with Carla, but it was determined that that was a lie. That documentary, by the way, is super fucked up. Yeah. It turns into, it, there's so many. So crazy. Yeah. Probably one of the craziest things I've ever watched. It's funny because, like, everybody got all crazy about Tiger King, and, like, that was fascinating in its own right. But, like, the don't fuck with cats People thing, were crazy about that on the internet, too. Were they? Oh, Yeah. I don't know. You didn't see all the memes that was like, can't find somebody, just call, what was her name, Brandy? Yeah, the internet sleuth lady. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, if you haven't seen it, it's absolutely insane. It's one of the craziest yeah. things I've ever watched in my it's life. It's so crazy. It starts off, like, pretty tame, and just by the end, it ramps up to absolute insanity. Yeah. So crazy. Yeah. Anyway. But, so some people might know her name from that. So... Carla Leanne Hamolka was born May 4, 1970, in Port Credit, Ontario, Canada, to Dorothy Seeger and, Car- and Carell Hamolka. Carla was the oldest of three girls. Her sister Lori was born in 1971, and Tammy was born in 1975. Carell was a traveling salesman that was often away, but when he was home, he was a mean alcoholic. Growing up, Carla suffered from severe asthma attacks and was actually hospitalized on multiple occasions. It was clear Carla was the girl in school that didn't care what anyone thought of her. She was known as bold and a nonconformist. She was beautiful with long blonde hair, and she had no issues getting attention from men. Mm. When her friends speak about her personality, they bring attention to the fact that she definitely had drastic changes in her mood. She was either really up and talking about her life and her future, or she was really low and talking about wanting to commit suicide. They never took her claims of suicide seriously because they felt that she was too self-absorbed to actually follow through with it. Mm-hmm. Sounds kind of uh, personality disorder Yeah. Mm-hmm. She never took her claims. Uh, that's what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> she expressed a love for animals, and while attending Sir Winston Churchill Secondary School, she took a job working part-time at a pet store. She had dreams of one day becoming a vet. On October 17, 1987, at the age of 17, while attending a convention in Toronto, Carla met 23-year-old Paul Bernardo. Paul was born August 27, 1964, in Scarborough, Ontario, to Marilyn and Kenneth Bernardo. Kenneth was a disgusting human. He was physically and emotionally abusive in front of the children. He was arrested for being a peeping Tom pedophilia, and child molestation, including oh. including his own daughter. Jesus Christ. His what mother... Terrible human. Yeah. His mother, I'm sure struggling with having the trash husband that she had, often withdrew from the family. She eventually moved into the basement of the home to be, like, further away from Kenneth. Um, so this was, like, in the 70s, so I'm sure divorce just wasn't an option then. Yeah. For mean, many that's... people, it wasn't. Yeah. I don't know. You... Today, you leave that immediately. Absolutely. Yeah, that's gross. Mm-hmm. Despite all of this, Paul is said to be a very happy and well-adjusted child. 
somehow. Wow. At the age of 16, his mother admits to him that his father, Kenneth, is not in fact his biological father, and he was actually conceived during an affair. That's a big turning point. Uh Uh-huh. So that ends up being, like, the point that Paul really starts to become a different person. So, like, he starts to, like, verbally abuse his mom and just goes, like, crazy finding out this information, which I don't understand because, like, it was why do you want him to be your dad anyways? Yeah, you don't. But, I mean, I, can under- I can't understand that almost. Like, you've lived your whole life with this idea of what your family is and everything and, you know, um, all of a sudden, like, the guy that you've been told is your father, it's, a, like, a lie for 16 years of your life. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's pretty huge. That's, like, life-changing. That's, like, you know, my parents... I'm adopted, so is my little sister. And my parents never, in a in a mean way, were like, you're adopted. But, like, they told me that I was adopted. Right. You know what I mean? And let me know what that meant and... I can't imagine what that would be like for parents that don't. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, okay. It, it's similar to that. And, that, like, imagine, like, living 16 years with your parents and then, like, on your 16th birthday, they were like... By the way, you're adopted. Like, you're not even biologically ours. Yeah, that's that, would, cr- that is crazy. That would blow my mind. They you know? couldn't really do that for you guys anyways. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, I actually think I could probably pass off as my parents' kids. Kid. You think? Yeah, I do. I think I look enough like a mix of my dad and my... Maybe not, now that I think about it. I don't know. I can maybe see a little bit of your dad. Yeah. I definitely got all their personality disorders. <laughs> <laughs> For people that don't know, though, uh, Matt's sister is half black. So, yeah. like, there was no being like, she's ours. You're ours. <laughs> but she is, though. She's my little sister. She's been my sister forever. Right. I love her to death. You don't have to be blood to be family. It's true. 100%. I mean, I know that very well. Right. Yeah. So, uh, Paul has said that his favorite book is Brett Easton Ellis's famous novel, American Psycho. Oh, boy. He says that he read it as a Bible. This is going to go very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever read that book? No. I mean, I've seen the movie. Whole, it's not like I know, I've the movie. Heard, I've heard. It's... There's a whole other... So I read that it. book when I was like... Probably sixteen. Yeah. Would you were you would you say that at that time you had read it like it was the Bible? I did not okay. read it like a Bible. Just making sure. It's really bad. Yeah, I've heard it's way darker. The film yeah. itself is very dark, and I've heard that it's way darker than the film. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And he's like an amazing writer. Like his ability to describe a scene is like crazy. Yeah. Like he's just so descriptive and. Yeah, but I don't in, know. in like a brutal way. It's rough. Yeah, but not, but not even just. It's not even all just brutal. Like there's a whole like two paragraphs describing the feeling that the main character felt when he held a person's business card. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if you remember the movie at all, yeah, but totally. that was like a thing. And like in the book, he goes through a huge description on just this one business yeah, card. No, and you like, get like, he's like really he's like enamored by it yeah you get yeah. like really into it and you're like this is a beautiful paragraph about a business card <laughs> right yeah so it's not even just like all of like the graphic stuff in that novel but it is not a bible <laughs> <laughs> nope all right so in 1987 carla and paul meet and it's an instant love connection carla's family adores paul 
He spent a lot of time with them. He lived two hours away, so he would often make the trip to go see her, and he would spend, you know, a lot of time at the house because he was driving far to go see her. Right. Her sisters say that Paul is the brother that they've always wanted. He has a particular interest in Carla's younger sister, Tammy. Unfortunately, only a year into the relationship, Carla tells her friends that Paul is verbally abusive. She continually continually forgives him, and on December 24th, Christmas Eve, 1989, they get engaged at Niagara Falls. Unbeknownst to any of the Homolka family, Paul loses his job as an accountant and secretly begins to smuggle cigarettes over the border for income. What? Yeah. That was his job. Hmm. <laughs> he would take cigarettes, I'm assuming from, from Canada to the United States, but I could be wrong. I was going to say the other way. Yeah? I don't know. Why? I don't know. Why that way? I don't know. It was the 80s. So what does that mean? You know what? What? I might be wrong here, so don't quote me, but I feel like in the late 80s, early 90s, the U.S., that was when it became required to have filters on your cigarettes. Oh, and so he was and I don't importing think Canada, unfiltered cigarettes? I don't think Canada had to have filters I mean, on I have, cigarettes. I mean, I literally have no idea. Just my initial thought was like bringing American tobacco to Canada. I feel like I'm right, but I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or remember when they made it so they like burned slower so the ashes wouldn't fall and like start fucking house fires in people's homes? No. Oh, yeah. That was like a, a thing too. Because cigarettes would burn so quickly and the ash would like stay yep. on attached to the cigarette and then the whole thing would fall at once and it was starting so many house fires. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, that could be it too. America. <laughs> By this point in Paul's life, unbeknownst to anyone, Paul was actually already a serial rapist. At the time, law enforcement and the media referred to him as the Scarborough Rapist. During a five-year period, starting in 1987, he committed at least 24 rapes or attempted rapes, and those are just the reported ones. Holy shit. Uh Uh-huh. How did he not just be in jail? They couldn't. They had no idea it was him. Most of the attacks happened outside close to their homes. Like, one of them, actually a couple of them, literally happened on the girl's front lawn. Yeah. So the victims were often teen girls and young women. The attacks came along with beatings, intense verbal abuse, and threats to return and harm her or her family. May 26, 1990, he raped a 19-year-old that was thankfully able to get a good description of him, and a composite sketch was made of him and was released two days later. They got around 16,000 responses to the sketch, three of which confirmed it was Paul Bernardo. Investigators questioned him twice. He voluntarily provided DNA samples of blood, hair, and saliva for forensic testing. DNA testing was still so new, so the backlog was just too long, and his samples got put there to wait. In 1990, Paul begins to pressure Carla to have sex with her younger sister, 15-year-old Tammy. One of the things that always bothered Paul in their relationship was that Carla was not a virgin. The only way he could forgive her for this is by her allowing him and helping him to take Tammy's virginity. Holy shit. Uh Uh-huh. For a little while, Carla would borrow Tammy's clothes and dress up as her and pretend to be her during sex to please Paul. This didn't keep him happy for long. Carla then broke Tammy's blinds so Paul could peep into her windows. 
She even left the windows open so he could enter and he would go inside and masturbate while she slept. What the fuck? This eventually wasn't enough for him either. Finally, she... What a piece of shit. Yeah. Finally, she decided to give him what he wanted. At this point, Carla had moved on from working at the pet store to actually working at the Martindale Animal Clinic. There, she had access to many medications that needed to be administered to the animals. One night, she stole a bottle of Valium and laced her sister's spaghetti sauce with it. While Tammy was unconscious, Paul raped her, and Carla just sat back and watched. So, like, eventually Tammy wakes up, and they were like, Oh, man, you just passed out. That's crazy. This is fucking crazy. I told you. How do you, how do you like, one. let that happen? I don't know. I don't know. So this satisfied Paul for a short while, but soon he wanted more. On December 24th, 1990, the anniversary of their engagement, they were having a lovely Christmas dinner with the Homolka family at their house. Paul was filming the festivities with his giant 80s camcorder. Mm -hmm. Once the party died down and everyone else went to bed, Paul and Carla asked Tammy to stay up and hang out with them. They brought Tammy down to the finished basement and they offered her some spiked rum and eggnog, which included some of the anesthetic agent halothane. When Tammy lost consciousness... Carla and Paul undressed her and videotaped themselves raping and sodomizing her. Investigators say that the videotape abruptly goes from a fun family holiday party to the brutal rape of a young girl. Oh my god. So they used like the same tape. The same tape. At one point, Tammy began to vomit and they tried to revive her. After hiding evidence and moving her body into the bedroom, they finally called 911. Tammy was rushed to St. Catherine's General Hospital where she was pronounced dead. Even with their strange behavior, like doing laundry and vacuuming in the middle of the night, and even with a chemical burn on Tammy's face, her death was ruled an accident. The official cause of her death was choking on her own vomit due to intoxication. Your face during all of this is intense. I just can't believe any of this has happened. Like, that's so disgusting. Mm -hmm. From not even just his, like, the standpoint of this dude that has, like completely destroyed this family but like from her perspective of just like she's so brainwashed right by him that she's just like letting it all happen and then like eventually is also like in it involved involved in it that's fucking crazy Mm -hmm. carla and paul finally moved in together to a rented bungalow in port dalhousie dalhousie oh can i pause for a second what mid-story my sister texted me last week and said that it's called la jolla when we were like la jolla la Hala? it's la jolla apparently uh, okay maybe she can tell me how this one's pronounced because <laughs> it's d-a-l-h-o-u-s-i-e yeah, i have no idea del that's what it is <laughs> on june 15th <laughs> On June 15, 1991, while supposedly driving around Burlington looking for license plates to steal, Paul stumbled upon 14-year-old Leslie Mahaffey. Leslie had missed her curfew that night, and as a punishment, her mother had locked her out of the house. Which, like, poor woman must feel horrible for the rest of her life. Paul was able to convince Leslie to come along with him, and he forced her into the car, blindfolded her, and drove her back to his home. Paul and Carla again videotaped themselves raping and sodomizing Leslie while her hands were bound with twine. 
At one point during the tape that was played at Paul's trial, he says, You're doing a good job, Leslie. A damn good job. The next two hours are going to determine what I do to you. Right now, you're scoring perfect. On the video, you also hear Leslie telling them that her blindfold was slipping, which indicated the possibility that she could identify them if they were to let her live. The next day, Leslie is dead. Paul claims Carla fed her a lethal dose of halcyon, while Carla claims that Paul strangled her. We'll never know the truth because an autopsy could never be done. They dragged her body to the basement and left it there for two days, one of which they spent entertaining Carla's parents and sister. So, like, they invited the family over. While there's a dead body. While there's a dead body in the basement. basement. Mm Mm-hmm. After that, they decided that the best way to dispose of the body would be to dismember her and encase each part of her remains in cement. Paul borrowed his grandfather's circular saw to complete the task. He also bought a dozen bags of cement at a hardware store, and like a moron, he kept the receipts. So they ended up being evidence at his trial. What an idiot. Carla and Paul had to make several trips to dump the cement block in Lake Gibson. One of the blocks was too heavy for them to lift, over 200 pounds, so they left it laying near the shore, where it was discovered on June 29, 1991, by a man and his son while on a fishing expedition. I mean, like, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah, I don't know. Like, what? How arrogant are you? The day that the body was discovered in the cement is actually also their wedding day. Oh, my God. So they had a, like, very elaborate wedding, complete with horse-drawn carriage. On April 16, 1992... They struck again. As they drove past Holly Cross Secondary School, they spot 15-year-old Kristen French. Carla got out of the car with a map in hand and pretended to need directions. Without Kristen suspecting a thing, Paul attacked her from behind and forced her into the car. It was very unlike Kristen to be late coming home from school, so her family immediately became suspicious and contacted the police. Within hours, the Niagara Regional Police Service assembled a team. They searched Kristen's route and discovered her shoes in the parking lot, confirming them that she had met with foul play. They found several witnesses who had seen the abduction and were able to give police a clear picture of events, which, like, I don't understand if they saw an abduction, why they didn't contact the police. police. Yeah. Yeah. Over the weekend, Paul and Carla again videotaped (laughs) themselves torturing, raping, and sodomizing Kristen. It was clear during the tapes that they never intended to let her live because she was never even blindfolded. Before heading to Carla's parents' house for Easter dinner, they killed Kristen. Just like before, their stories didn't align. Carla says that Paul strangled her for seven minutes while she watched, and Paul claims that Carla beat her with a rubber mallet and put a noose around her neck that was attached to a hope chest, and that's how she was strangled. Kristen's nude body was discovered in a ditch on April 30, 1992. She had been washed, and her hair had been cut. There are many other victims of this couple, but their rapes likely did not end... Well, they're pretty sure none of them ended in murder. But, like, there was quite a few rapes um, and abuse. Like, there was, you know, Carla convinced a coworker to come home with them, and they drugged her and raped her, and she woke up and was like, what the hell happened? And they let her go. And there was one where they grabbed a young girl on, like, just walking on a sidewalk Mm -hmm. and they dragged her behind a bush and they raped her just fucking insane yeah that's awful there are even a few men that serve time having been falsely convicted of rapes that paul committed wow yeah and there was um there was two people that actually were released because he confessed 
Although Paul was questioned a few times, and even an acquaintance of his suggested to police that he was the perpetrator, he was always ruled out as a suspect. Finally, in December of 1992, the Center of Forensic Sciences began testing DNA samples that Paul had provided two years earlier. On December 27th, he severely beat Carla with a flashlight, claiming that she had been in a car accident. She returned to work on January 4th, 1993, and her co-workers were immediately concerned for her well-being and called her parents. They went and forced her to leave Paul and move back home with them. They took her to St. Catherine's General Hospital, where she filed a statement that she was a battered spouse, and she filed charges against Paul. He was arrested, but soon released on his own recognizance. Twenty-six months after Paul first submitted his DNA samples... Uh, Toronto police were informed that they matched that of the Scarborough rapists. He was immediately placed under 24-hour surveillance. After being questioned on February 9th, 1993, Carla confessed to family members that she knew Paul was a Scarborough rapist the whole time and that she and him were actually involved in the rape and murder of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French and that there was evidence in the form of videotapes. Carla met with Niagara Falls lawyer George Walker, who sought legal immunity in exchange for her cooperation. Crown Criminal Law Office Director Murray Siegel advised him that due to Carla's involvement in the crimes and it being recorded on videotape, full immunity was not a possibility. I mean, she... Yeah. Yeah. But just wait. On February 17th, Paul was arrested on multiple charges. A warrant was granted, but because the links from him to the murders of Leslie and Kristen were very weak, the warrant was limited. No piece of possible evidence that was found in the house could be taken if it wasn't documented in the warrant. They could not do any damage to the house like ripping down walls in their search for the videotapes, and any tapes that were found had to be viewed within the home. The search took 71 days. The only tape that was found was one of Carla performing oral sex on a Jane Doe. On May 5th, Carla was offered a plea bargain of 12 years. To testify against Paul. She accepted and began giving statements to the police. She told them how Paul would boast about raping over 30 women. She would call him the happy rapist. On September 1st, 1995, Paul was convicted of a number of offenses, including the two first-degree murders and two aggravated sexual assaults. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole for at least 25 years. Paul's defense lawyer withheld crucial evidence in the case for over 17 months, including the damning videotapes. Prosecutors said that had they seen the videotapes beforehand, they never would have given Carla a 12-year plea bargain. Right. Her plea deal is known throughout Canada as the deal with the devil. The latest on Paul is he was most recently denied parole in October of 2018 and is currently being held at the Millhaven Institution in Bath, Ontario. While being held in the Kingston Prison for Women, Carla graduated with a bachelor's in psychology from Queen's College. She was released on July 4th, 2005, at the age of 35. Fuck that lady. Wow. I don't even know what to say. That's the Ken and Barbie killers. Yeah, I don't even know what to say. Mm -hmm. They're vile human beings. Like, those are the worst type of people. Like, those are the worst people that exist Mm -hmm. on Earth. I can't believe it took them that long to figure out that it was him. Uh, right. If only it had been tested beforehand. Yeah. I mean, Which like, is you tough to like, so I mean, you lives. can't. Right. But like, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's, I know, 2009, it's, not... it's 2020 and like the backlog is still huge yeah. on rape test kits. Like, yeah. I mean, in general. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, wow, that was fucking crazy. Just like it was a rough the, one. her her turn in into just being part of it is baffling to me. Like, why? Right. And it was clear from the videotapes that like you weren't a battered woman. Like you were straight up involved in this. Right. And and enjoyed it. Right. Yeah. Uh just wow, gross. Ugh. I need I need to not think about that. You need a toast? Yeah, give me something. All right. Please. Positive time? Yeah. What you got? I don't know right now. Okay. <laughs> you want me to do mine? Yeah. Okay. So my toast this week, this is going to be like, I'm doing a total 180 right now. Yeah. Um. So my toast this week is actually going to be to Gavin's papa. Okay. So yesterday was Father's Day. <clears throat> And, um, my dad passed away when I was 10. So I, I mean, I, I was so young, I didn't really get to know him that much. And I met, uh, Papa when I was 15. So I started, I started dating Gavin's dad when we were 15. So I'm now 32. So he's been a part of my life longer than my own father has. So it helps. He's um, a really good dude. Yeah. He's. He's amazing, and um, I, he probably—I don't even think he knows about this, so he's never going to listen to it. it but I just want it. Yeah, I just want. Um, I toast to him because I'm very thankful for him being in my life, and you know, our baby Grayson isn't even related to him at all, and like he treats him like he's just another one of his grandkids, and it just melts my heart and makes me so happy. Yeah, and um, I do. I think of him as like a pseudo father, so like yeah toast to him and happy father's day belated and yeah yeah that's my toast that was a good one thanks uh i've already toasted my dad i can't do that again you can't nope i'm just kidding you can toast your dad as much as you want (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know he's been going through a lot of shit lately i mean i think the first time i toasted to him was like the literally like the first episode of this and i don't even remember why but yeah he's uh you know my dad's in chemo right now and he's having a hard time um but you wouldn't know it because that's just the kind of guy he is, you know. He, you know, adopted me and my sister and has loved us in a way that we were his own forever. And uh, he's always there to help when we need it. And he always told me that he was proud of me regardless of how much I fucked up. So that shit's important. So cheers to my dad, too. Cheers. Cheers. Whew. That was abrupt, guys. But that yeah. was a rough case. Yeah, I really. <laughs> we just had to, to get, stop. I, I had to get out of that headspace. Yeah, that was very dark. Yeah. Whew, that was a rough one. But yeah, it was a good episode. We're you know, let's we'll we'll do one less tonally dark next time. All right, next week will be really simple. No, it doesn't have to be simple. That was like real dark. I know. Like that might be the darkest one that we've done. Yeah. I think so. There's so much there. Yeah, I think because they were related. Yeah, I mean... It was her younger sister, and, and just the, the girls the, were so young. I mean, I say Ed Kemper is probably the one that comes the closest. Mm-hmm. Like, every... I mean, and he's like a prolific serial killer. You know, like one of the most notorious and, you know, biggest serial killers out there. Like, this is like... I don't know. That was disgusting. I can't even imagine entering a headspace even remotely close to where either of those people are yeah no like we're so far removed from everybody we've ever talked about never have we been in those head spaces but like i can't even 
like what kind of a disgusting human do you have to be to sink to that level? It's right. Gross. So anyway, let's lighten it up next time. <laughs> Not let's lighten it up, but that was very dark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a good episode either way. Uh, and yeah, you can find us well, as always. Oh, do you have something? I didn't get any reviews. Oh. If you could review us. <laughs> <laughs> That would be great. I would really appreciate it. It makes my day. Um, it makes our day anyway. When yeah. When we look at how many people are listening. Oh my god. I I check it in the morning and I get like super giddy and I'm like, oh my god, like 30 people listened yesterday. And it like makes, your makes me so excited. Yeah. And then I yell at my coworkers that didn't listen. Jenny, I'm talking about you. <laughs> I'm going to know when you listen to this episode. Because you'll bring it up to me. <laughs> but yeah, so as she was trying to say, we're we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on all the major streaming networks. Apple Podcasts, uh, you know, Google Podcasts now that Google Play Music really is dying on its death knell and more. You are very the, unhappy about that. Yeah, it is. Uh, YouTube Music is just a trash fire that shouldn't exist. Um, anyway, but yeah, if you could... Also, uh, you can also find us on Stitcher and all the other major streaming networks. If you could give us the review that you asked for, that would be great. If you don't, that's okay, too. We just love that you listen. <laughs> you can find us on the Facebook. Uh, we're there. It seems to be much more active recently, which is super cool. It's awesome talking to all you guys. Um, you know, if you guys want to prompt conversations, go for it. You can email us at tilldeathtouspodcast at gmail.com. Um, we do have the Patreon now. So you can find that at patreon.com slash till death do us podcast. And then you can also find our merch, which I think merch. we're, we're going to be. <laughs> what? What's that? What was that? I tried to say it really exciting and then I got caught in my throat. <laughs> you were like, this is like, you're like, it was like, this is merch. <laughs> it got stuck. Yeah. But, but I was trying to say merch. Yeah, that is not how it came up. It was actually like if that was the major chord, you did the minor chord. <laughs> merch. Um, it sounded like you were trying to be like like a vampire, like let me in. Maybe it sounded cool. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I'll know. Listen we'll back. have to listen back. Uh, but yeah, you can find any of the merch, which you know, hopefully, I'll be able to do some more designing of uh, soon. But at I teas- did have a request for hats. Okay. We can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, teespring.com slash stores slash till death to us podcast. And yeah, I think that that about wraps it up. I think so. So for Matt and Michelle. Yeah. This has been till death to us podcast. And I just want to remind you guys. Hey, don't murder each other. Bye. Bye.